so a couple of weeks ago, I was taking uh, Eli and Luke to school. And uh, I, we were going in the van, which is what I drive now. And uh, we, on the way to school, uh, something started beeping on the, in the car, in the van. And Eli said, Dad, what does that say? And I said, oh, that's just the thing that says uh, fuel level's a little low, right? And you know what I do with that when it comes on, right? You, uh, you ignore it, right? Like most things that happen in your car, you just kind of, yeah. But I realized when he said that, that that had been on for like a couple of days, and you know, and I have, I have one of those, you know, most newer cars have this, where it says fuel level low. Unless you clear it out, you don't see the miles to go kind of thing, you know. And so I pushed to clear it out, and miles to go came up, and it said miles to go five. And I had to take the boys to school because we had left the house in plenty of time to get them th- there 30 seconds before the second bell rang, all right? So we had to get them to school first, and so we drive to the school, and we're in the thing, and Lee, I could, I could tell, was pretty concerned, and it's not very far to the school from our house. Then we got to the school, it said uh, three miles to empty. And Eli said, Dad, are you going to make it? I was like, yeah, we're going to make it up here. He's going, no, I mean, are you going to be okay? You're going to be able to get gas? And I said, I'll be fine, Eli, I'll be fine. I, I'm not um, portraying to him the inner angst that is now developing in my you know my own soul as I think about the fact that we're sitting in the drop-off line and it says three miles he says well how far is it to a gas station he goes it is not more than two and a half miles to get to a gas station from here we're fine I've got three miles right and so y'all know this if you if you drive at all and if ever it happened to you know now some of you and I, I do not need to hear your comments afterwards about from those of you that like top it off when it hits a three quarters of a tank all right I don't need to hear that all right this is there are some of us in the room that we like to get our money's worth, all right? And so, and so as I'm driving to the gas station, I drove a little differently, right? Like, you know, uh, I don't accelerate real fast. I'm, you know, I'm, I just kind of ease the gas pedal into it. You know, it was like, I don't know, three that morning. And uh, I, with no need to run the heat right now. We don't want to extra stress on it. You know, when you're going like on a hill or flat, you just let it coast, right? You just don't, you know, you're just kind of trying to, to, to baby it there. And I could see that number turning down. Of course, I get onto the main road and there are two red lights between me and the gas station and they turn red as I'm getting there, Right. And so they're the longest you can imagine. So as I get there, I just I got to the gas station, all right? As I pulled into the gas station, it turned to one. Now, I like to play it close. I've never seen one, all right? And I got in there, and my gas tank in that van is 19 gallons. And I put in 19.23 gallons. I was running on fumes, right? Now, here's the point. There are a lot of people in our world, and I would guess there are a lot of people in this room that if you were just to talk about your life in general, you are running on fumes. You've been running on empty for a while. And perhaps it's emotionally you're running on empty. Perhaps, you know, you, you look at your gauge spiritually, then it is below E, and you don't even know how long it's been below E. Perhaps physically, you are just exhausted and worn out. And the truth is, if we're not careful in life, we end up running on empty for a long time, and it's detrimental to who we are. Maybe it's because you're running from something. 
Maybe there's some past or past mistakes, a relationship, a debt. Maybe you're running from God. You know, Scripture talks a lot about the exhausting work of running from God. I think about the story of the uh, prodigal son. You all know that story over in Luke? Where he asked his dad, hey dad, listen, I know we've been good, it's a great relationship, but I need my inheritance now. Basically what he says to his dad is, you are better to me now if you were already dead. So can I go ahead and get my, my share? So he takes it, what does he do with it? squanders it. Don't you love that word? That, it's about the only w- place we really use that word. He squandered his wealth, right? I mean, he did what we typically think of people running from God, squandering their wealth, doing away with it. I think he ended up blocking off the street in Miami and drag racing in a Lamborghini with one of his friends and stuff in his system. Okay, maybe allegedly not. But it's that typical thing, right? The crash and burn. The person that we see that has gotten into too much, too fast, too soon, with too many people, and we see them squandering it, running, and they're running, and we know they're running, and they know they're running, and it's absolutely exhausting. It is something they can't get a grip on. They're constantly running from. But maybe today your problem is not that you're running from something. Maybe Maybe it's not you're running from God. Maybe you're running... You think for God. And instead of being exhausted because of trying to get away from God, you're exhausted because you're trying to do so much for Him. Thinking that if I just do this and this and this, then it'll be okay and God will accept me and I'll do right. And if I get that checked off, everything will be okay. You see, what I have discovered in my life, it is equally exhausting running from God as it is running for God. In fact, in that prodigal son story, we we love the story of the prodigal son because he comes to his senses and he comes back to the dad. And the dad runs out and puts his arms around him in Luke chapter 15. And we love that. But then we see the older brother and the older brother says, what are you doing? Why are you taking him back? I'm the one that's been doing the work. I'm the one that's been faithful. I'm the one that's been in your fields. I'm the one that's got the checklist down. And you've not done anything for me. Don't you accept me? Why have you not noticed what I've been doing? There's some of you that, in your relationship with the Lord, you're trying to do as much as you can. Well, I know I've got this past, but if I can just do this amount of good, maybe it's not even for God. Maybe it's just subconsciously you're doing it because you're trying to outweigh that balance scale and you're thinking, if I can get enough done, it'll be okay. The truth is, both are exhausting. The good news is, Scripture teaches us that you don't have to run from God and you don't have to run for God. That what it takes to be filled again is to run to Him. What we're going to talk about over the next month is what it means to run to God and why we can do that. It basically, we're not even going to talk about running a very far distance. As Jeff kind of referenced, we're going to talk about turning around and noticing that God's already chasing us. He has been pursuing us this entire time. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Hosea, back in the Old Testament. I'm not going to be there for a couple of minutes, so you may have a time to find it, all right? It's one of those obscure kind of books in the Old Testament. You you may know about it, you may know of it, you may know some of the craziness, you may not have a clue what it's about. That's a good thing. Over the next month, we're going to spend some time in this book because I believe it is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. 
And what happens in the book of Hosea is God asks Hosea to do something he has not asked anyone to do since and had not asked anyone to do before. As best as I can tell, God asked Hosea to do something unique. Now, you know we use the word unique too much, right? That unique means one of a kind, only one occurrence. Something can't be totally unique or completely unique. It is unique, all right? That's just for all you grammar friends out there, all right? But from what I can see, from what I read, God asked Hosea to do something unique. One time. Never before, never since. And he does it in this book that's kind of caught back in the back of the Old Testament. Now, it's called, Hosea is what they call a minor prophet. Anybody know why they call it a minor prophet? Because he wasn't as important as the major prophets? No, that's not what it is. You might know. Because it's shorter. Okay? The book itself is shorter than the big books of Jeremiah, Isaiah, those. It's a shorter book. All right? And so it doesn't mean it's less important. It doesn't mean it's minor in message. In fact, the message he has is great for us. And I want you to see this. And today, just to let you know, we're not going to get very far into Hosea. In fact, we're going to get two and a half verses in. Okay? And that's all we're going to get to. But it's going to set the scene for what we're going to do for the next month. All right, Hosea chapter 1. If you didn't find it, I think the word's going to be up on the screen. Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. And then it gives us some information that gives us a little understanding. Son of Biri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, king of Israel. Here's the thing about that. It just sets him in a time period when Hosea is going to, at this time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There were kingdom in the north, kingdom in the south. Kingdom in the north had gone off the rails already in a major way. Jeroboam is just one of the kings that was around during this time. It's not important to Hosea to even mention the other ones because things have happened so badly. They're going off the rails. He is a prophet to the northern kingdom. And so we understand that it is at a desperate point in the life of this nation. Then God asked Hosea to do something that just is astounding in verse 2. Verse 2 he says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a promiscuous wife. And have children of promiscuity. For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Let me just say something real quickly. When you sit down for your quiet time. And you say, Lord, here's my heart. Speak what is true. Here's my life. Speak what is true. You do not expect what Hosea heard. Right? Because this is what he says. Now, I like the way the Holman Christian Standard, the hardcore Southern Baptist Bible, right? HCSB, what it says here, because it says it in the nicest way possible. I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. Now, promiscuous isn't a good connotation, but the word there means more than just a promiscuous woman. It's the word for prostitute. Y'all know what that is, right? You don't want to say, all right. He says, go marry a prostitute. Now, think about what he tells Hosea, okay? He says, I want you to marry a prostitute, and she's going to continue in her ways. 
And she's going to have children in the midst of continuing to act in her ways. I want you to love her anyways. That's right. That wasn't an amen, but it was a That was good enough. That's heavy stuff, right? That is not what you're expecting. In fact, I know how you treat verses like that in the Bible. You don't understand. You look at him and go, hmm, I have no clue what it's at. Let me get over here to where Jesus is. Let me... Let me find John. I think it's John 3. Let me go there. Right? Like, what do you do with that? Now, now I, I want you to know that, that God is not lax. I, I don't believe that God is lax in his moral understanding. I don't think he's setting aside his morality and his perfection in this moment. But it's a command to his prophet, to marry a prostitute. Probably a known, well-known prostitute. The equivalent today would be the Lord calling a nationally known minister to go marry a leader in the adult entertainment business. Can you imagine the headlines? And he says to Hosea, I want you to marry this prostitute She's going to have children. Some of them may be yours. Some of them probably won't be. I want you to love her anyways. I want you to hold this family together in spite of what is happening. Let me tell you, over the next month, here's what I believe we're going to see. In the midst of this crazy declaration and command from the Lord we are going to see one of the most powerful images of God's love for us on display in Scripture. It is an amazing story of reconciliation and love. And he tells us why he's doing it. He says, because my people, Israel, us, continue to live unfaithfully to me. They... they, I, I have rescued them. I have saved them. I have brought them out of bondage. I have established them as a nation. I have given them victories. I have shown them the way. I have loved them as much as I could love them. And they continue to walk away. They continue to cheat on the side. They continue to find other people and other places and other gods to give their affection and their attention to. Hosea, I want you to marry this woman because my people continually are unfaithful to me. And yet, I love them anyways. And I don't want you just to say that to them. I want you to live it. I want you to understand what it means to be in a relationship with a wife who does not love you like you love her. Who goes around and finds other men and cheats as in an adulteress. And it's going to position you as the spokesperson to my people about my love. Here's why I think God wants us to understand or what he wants us to understand in the midst of this. And this is big picture overview. The first thing he wants us to understand is that if we want to live as we ought to live and how we can live is that we have to trade Get a relationship instead of religion. You see, for the Lord, trading our religion for a relationship, uh, uh, for the Lord, 
What we have to understand is he doesn't see us as a group of people who are religious people and just following some rules. He sees us as his beloved. You see, God's not interested in a group of religious people. He's interested in us. In fact, the, the image that is used throughout Scripture and the image that is used here, he could have chosen lots of images. He could have chosen lots of ways to say that this is my relationship to you. But the image he uses is marriage. And the point he's making is, I'm much more into the relationship than I am into a contract of you do this and I do this. And when this is done and that is done, we'll do this together and we'll be all together. He wants us to realize it is a relationship between a living being and us. A personal being who loves us. You see, a lot of people don't see it that way. I I was thinking about this the other day. Recently, I've had my routine visit to the dentist. How many of you love that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. We just will ignore the people that raise their hands, all right? You know, I... My kids love their visit to the dentist because at my kids' dentist, they get toys and they got cartoons on the ceiling Everybody's playing around. Last time Luke went, they made a bowling lane with mouthwash. And let Luke knock it down. It's like the greatest place. My, ain't none of that at my dentist, all right? My dentist is getting the chair. We're going to bring out the instruments of torture to go to your mouth, all right? Now, here's the thing. When I go to the dentist, I almost talk myself out of going to the dentist to the moment I walk in the door. You know, the whole way, I'm like, I don't really, golly can't believe that appointments today i got other stuff i got lots of things going on i mean it's just crazy i mean all I, I just don't have time for this today but here's what's really going on in my mind he's going to ask me some questions i'm not prepared to answer right you're gonna get in that chair and they're gonna start exploring around and they're gonna ask you some questions about your dental hygiene and stuff and the question that's gonna come that i know is coming how have you been flossing I think we just need to sign a petition and make a deal with dentist across. The the answer to that question is always no. So let's just dispense with it, all right? Because he asked, are you flossing? My answer is, like, have I or what do you mean? What what is the definition of that word, right? Because, you know, when I start thinking about flossing, when I'm about to walk in the dentist office, he's going to ask me about flossing. Right? It's like the morning of when you brush your teeth on the morning you go into the dentist. Anybody put a little extra time in on that morning? Yeah, there you go. Because we got to get all cleaned up to go to the dentist. They're going to clean us up, but we got to get cleaned up before we go. There are a lot of people that think that the relationship with the Lord is like that. That, that coming to church or, or, or reading the Bible or, or engaging that relationship is going to be that kind of visit. Well, have you been doing this? <laughs> I noticed you hadn't been going here. I noticed you haven't been doing this. Why well, do you expect to do this when you hadn't been? God doesn't want us to be our relationship like that. It's a relationship. It's a loving relationship. God wants you and your heart more than anything else. And his point through Hosea and Gomer, we're going to talk about that name in a minute, by the way. Between Hosea and Gomer is The point he's making is he cares about us more than anything else. You see, it's a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. How many of you have been married here? Yeah, some of your spouse are like, get your hand up, let's go. What do you have to sign to get married? 
a marriage license, right? How, how many pages is a marriage license? It's one. I, I sign them when I do weddings. And they give you like three, but two of them are just kind of things to give the couple. The only one that matters is one. You sign, your spouse signs, I, or whoever officiates the wedding signs, and we mail it to the county. There's a witness sign, so we mail it to the court clerk. That's it. Right? You're signing up for a whole lot and signing one sheet of paper. Amen? Amen? A lot. And you say so, right? In the middle of the... You say, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health, till death do us part, for richer, for poorer. You say all that stuff. And that means a lot. But all it takes is one sheet of paper. Why? Because the relationship is not based on what you signed on a sheet of paper. The relationship is based on what is going on between the two of you. Right? How many of you ever bought a house? You only took one sheet of paper, right? No. What do you do when you buy a house? You sign your life away. I don't know what I signed. Kathy Decker was my realtor. She said, sign, I signed, you know. I mean, you know, I remember the first time I bought a house. This is the, we're in the second house we bought. But the first house we bought, I, I remember, was in Ripley. And, and, and Ripley's a small town. And in downtown Ripley, it's a historic old small town, we had to go to a lawyer's office above a barber shop. I mean, it's just old town, right? And we get up there, and there's this beautiful table, and they've got it lined out. And they plop down, and the word plop is appropriate, this stack of papers in front of you and say, okay, we're going to begin the process of signing. And I remember being the, you know, the guy, Susan, next to me. I start looking at it like, yeah, let me, let me look at this and see. Let me make sure it's all exactly like it ought to be and yeah mm-hmm, yeah that looks good yeah i'll sign there yeah and then and before long you're like how many places i gotta sign? let's just flip through here and go all right and i just trust my realtor everything's all right see some people think that their relationship with the lord is like a contract god, okay god now what all what all do i have to do to be in a relationship with you okay let's see all right here we got to read our bible okay i can i can do that and you want me to pray every now and then? Okay, we can work on that. And um, what's this? Uh, say, say those words a few less times than I used to. Okay, I can do that. Sexual purity. Mm, well. uh, all right, I guess I'll say so. You want me to go to church? Okay, okay, I can do that. I got some friends at church. And you get the contract signed. You think I got all this stuff down. You put it down. You put it down. But then you think you earned some stuff from the Lord. I signed all your deals over here, God. What are you going to give me? I need some health over here and some finances would be good and relationship stuff. I got this problem and you know this God's giving me trouble. Can you take care of that? That's not how it works. That's not how good marriages work. I'm not saying that there aren't marriages that act that way, but that's not how it works. It's based on the relationship. Marriage is saying, I do. And that means that no matter what comes, I am with you through thick and thin. Better, worse, richer, poor, sickness, health. And it's based on the relationship, not some contract or form you've signed. And our relationship with the Lord is the same way. It is because of who we are. It's because of what has happened in our lives. Here's the thing. 
If you go into it like a religion where if I do this and this and this and this and this and this and don't do that and that and that and that, then everything will be good with God and I'll be okay. It will wear you out. Amen? It will wear you out. You'll run on E most of the time, but if you're in it with the relationship with the Lord, it fills you up. I mean, you know, those of you that are married, you know that in your own relationship. If you're there just because you said I do in front of a church and you're trying to do everything to make it work, even though there's no real relationship going on at the moment, it wears you out. But if you're there in the midst of a relationship that is exciting and you are invested in one another and you're taking care of one another, it's something that fills you up. Amen? That's the way it is with the Lord. The trade. We get a relationship. We trade in our religion. Here's the second thing we kind of want to know from this passage or from this story of Hosea, Mary, and Gomer is that he wants us then to rest in that relationship. You know, here's what I've come to discover. I've met with lots of couples now to get married and do counseling and all of that. And almost every couple I meet with, the bride has thought about the wedding day almost her entire life. What it would be like, what it would look like, how it would happen. I have a four-year-old daughter who is already talking some about that kind of stuff. And I'm telling her, it's not going to be for 40 years. It's all right. Okay? But here's the thing. I've done enough weddings to know things don't always go right on the wedding day. Right? I mean, sometimes you spend $1,000 on a cake and something like this happens. Sometimes you have this great first dance planned out with some high maneuvers going on. And this happens. Nothing like a good wedding dance face plant, right? Sometimes you have a great mental image of what you want the picture to look like out on the pier. And this happens. And sometimes you literally spend millions to have a wedding where millions of people are watching, perhaps the most watched in the history of the world. And then at that moment when you're giving that first kiss... This happens, right? But here's what I know about all that. It doesn't really matter what happens on the wedding day. Because a marriage isn't built on a wedding day. It's built on that relationship between the two of you saying I do and resting in that and enjoying that and living in the love that is between the two of you. It comes in sacrificing for one another and resting in a relationship of trying to be a part of that and living in the midst of it and the freedom that that brings. Susan and I have a great relationship and I love her. Part of the reason I love her is because, part of the reason I love our marriage is because I can just rest in the knowledge I don't have to gain her approval. You... You remember what it was like wondering if people liked you? Some of you may not have to worry about that. You may still be there, all right? Maybe in your marriage that still goes on, all right? There's just this settledness about knowing I'm accepted for who I am, warts and all. And I can just live in that. 
God intends for that to happen. There, there's comfort in going out of your way to help somebody else just because you love them. I was reading Facebook yesterday, and I found out that uh, Jeff and Anne Marie, there they are right there, everybody, say, everybody wave at Jeff and Anne Marie, celebrating 10 years of marriage Thursday, is that right? 10 years of marriage, isn't that great? 10 years of marriage. We, we celebrate like 50, 60, 10's an important number, great number, all right? So they're celebrating 10 years, and they, she said in her Facebook, some of you may have seen this, that she could describe their marriage with the phrase 2% milk, Okay? Because apparently, for the first few months of their relationship, of their marriage, they always bought 2% milk, even though both of them like fat-free milk. Now, first of all, I did not know those people existed. You know what I'm talking about, the people that like white water, the fat-free milk, right? If I want milk, I want it clogging my veins as it's going down. I want it full, but let's just... It's okay, Jeff and Emery, really. Um, and so they, like, they both like fat-free milk, but they thought the other person liked 2%. So for the first while of their marriage, they both bought 2% in deference to the other. Now, that's a silly example, but it shows what you do in marriage, right? You put others' needs in front of yours, even when it means you have to drink that awful 2% milk. I prefer the red label whole milk, all right? You put it in front of the other. Here's what's amazing about what this tells us about the Lord. This picture tells us that God sacrifices because of his love for us. Even in their names, you see that. What was the name of the woman Hosea married? Gomer. Man, don't you love that name? Anybody going to name their little girl Gomer? Right? Anybody know what the name Gomer means? No. Why would I know what Gomer means, Pastor? I don't have a clue. All right? Gomer means completed or done. Okay? Or you could even say it like, I'm done. Now, that's important because you can say the words, I'm done, in two completely different ways. Right? There's the, I've had it up to here and I'm done right? I got one more email that I needed to get this afternoon and I am done. I got asked to do one more thing that I am able to do and I'm done. I got behind one more striver that I needed to get behind. I'm done. Anybody been there? Okay. Sorry to raise the blood pressure of some of you in the room. But there's another way you can say it, right? I just finished my last paper for school. I am done, right? There's difference, right? I just finished that major project at work. I'm done. Teachers, you know, it just got to be the last day of school. I'm done. Like, there's a difference between those two, right? Here's what's interesting about the book of Hosea. I believe that what we see in Hosea is that Hosea comes to Gomer. God through Hosea comes to Gomer when she's at the end of her rope, I'm done moment, and takes her to a place where she realizes she can't do anything to save herself, and she comes to a place where she's done with self-righteousness, or in her case, a lifestyle running from God. She's done. Now, we see that also in Hosea's name. Hosea's name means 
salvation. Here's what's interesting about Hosea's name. If you just put a letter in front of it, it becomes Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Hosea's name just means salvation. And that is exactly what he is for Gomer. Here's what I want you to see about this story. While it is a parable for us about God's relationship for us, in Hosea's day, it was very really a story about God's love for one lady who had gotten way off track. Over in Hosea 3, there's this beautiful moment when God says to Hosea, Hosea, his wife had left him. He married her. She left him. In fact, it tells us in verse 3 of chapter 1 that he married her and that he had a son or he had a child. But then it says it, it, she goes on her own way. And she has gotten into her old lifestyle so much that he has to go get her. And God says, I need you to go down where she is being sold and I need you to buy her back and don't wait for her to repent don't wait for her to come back don't wait for her to say i'm sorry you go get her and you buy her back because that is how i love my people that's deep god's love for us is an all-consuming passionate pursuit of us I ask you to do one last thing, and then we're done with this part. After you trade that religion for a relationship, and after you rest in that relationship, I need you to invest in it. I'm going to ask you to do that in a very specific way. First of all, a couple of specific ways. First of all, I'm going to ask you to be here. I'm going to ask you to try to be here for the next three weeks. If you're a guest with us and you thought, I'm just coming for one time, I'm just going to be here one time, I, I want you to, to, to try to invest in being here. And I know stuff comes up. I know you got plans. I know all that kind of stuff. But I want you to make an effort to be here for the next three weeks. I want you to invest in your relationship with the Lord. Then secondly, I want, to, I want to ask you to invest in the relationship with the Lord this way. I, I want you to invest in spending time with Him. Here, I'm going to give you one way to do it. Now, you may have your ways. You may have a Bible reading plan or a Bible study plan, or small group plan, people you get together with, whatever it is. But I'm going to give you another way, all right? And it's simply this. I want you to go to this website. And you can write it down somewhere. You can go, some of you, on your smartphones before the end of the service. fbcgillisville.com pursued. And on that page... There will be a link right underneath the picture that says, join the Pursued Challenge. Okay? Click on it. Put your email in, your first and last name. You'll be put on a list. And over the next three, four weeks, we're gonna, I'm going to be sending out some stuff, just small reminders each day, some scripture, some thoughts that go along with what we're doing. And we're going to journey together through this. And I want you to be a part of that. Now, I, I know you're looking at me like, okay, we'll do that. No, I want you to be a part of that, all right? I don't want to go back tonight and I get home and I got nobody on the list, all right? Because I'll get a little report of who's on the list, okay? And some of y'all come to your house and knock, all right? Hey, are you at the Super Bowl party? Let's go. All right, let's sign it up. Let's go around, all right? Now, over the next few weeks, here's what I want. I want us to become so familiar with the passionate pursuing love of Jesus Christ in our life that we have no option but to do 
what we know He wants us to do because He has our best life in mind. Let's pray.